Named after the mechanism that separates the sweet wort from the spent grains, False Bottom Girls features two beer experts filtering through the brewing industry to guide listeners through the wonderful, yet sometimes confusing, world of beer. Hi, my name is Rachel Hudson. I'm the co-owner and head brewer of Pilot Brewing in Charlotte, North Carolina, and an advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair. I'm the beer program coordinator with New Realm Brewing in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am also an advanced Cicerone. So, Rachel, would you like to see which one of us can set the world record for holding our breath the longest in a podcast studio in Charlotte, North Carolina? Why? Well. Does it have to do with the stout? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Then I'm in. Because did you know the Guinness Book of World Records was invented when the sales manager for Guinness got into a bar fight over the fastest land bird in Europe? (laughs) And so they developed the Book of World Records to settle fights in really? bars. Yes. Nice. So did it have to, anything to do with holding your breath? No. Oh, I was okay. just trying to think of some sort of world record that we could set. Right oh, okay. Now. Yeah. What is the world record for that? Pretty sure I'm not going to beat it. Right. Listen, listen. I just said, I just said the world record. Okay. <laughs> there are people that can like dive underwater and hold their breath for like minutes. Yeah, well, they're not in this studio right now, so oh, I'm the world record I holder. I see how it works. Okay. Congratulations. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> is, that, is, that what Although, they, is that how they develop stout, too? No, but I was about to say, I wouldn't be surprised if you held your breath just for a little bit longer. <laughs> you like, <gasps> you better not. This <laughs> will <laughs> <laughs> just be our whole episode. Just don't eat it. <sighs> All right, you're the world record holder. Well, you started it. <laughs> this world, is how bar fights start. Yeah, you're the world record holder of the biggest brat in this room right now. <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not that world record holder. But anyway, we're not talking about world records. Just, but Guinness indirectly. We're talking about Irish stout, dry stout, dry Irish stout. In, in, <laughs> in my research, I have realized that there is can be an American dry Irish stout. It can be Irish dry Irish stout and English dry Irish stout. Nuh-uh. Or dry stout. Okay. American dry stout, English dry stout, There is no Irish such thing as American dry stout. Well, That's just an American there are American stout. version of a dry stout. Okay. Would use American ingredients and American hops and American Which ale makes it yeast. American stout. Look. <laughs> I don't make the rules. Yes, you're right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we are talking about Irish stouts because, because it will be tis the season. Is that oh, no. <laughs> is that my that's so this morning yeah, I I googled like, some leprechaun voices. No. I but thought you might. I did, but I just realized that there's no like leprechaun accent. It's just like a really high squeaky voice. So I'm gonna spare it. You guys don't need to hear that. Yeah, you had a very that was a very like Dickensian like it was a bunch of laughter. It's like, <laughs> so that was my leprechaun Googling voices. So to me, it looked like the leprechaun to me. Who all seen the leprechaun say, yeah. Hide yeah. your wife. Hide your kids. It's <laughs> like a long Leprechaun. The leprechaun was out. Oh, okay. The, remember? Hide your wife. Hide your kids. Because yeah. leprechaun's out. <laughs> well, I was referencing the Crichton leprechaun. The what? The Crichton leprechaun. What's that? We'll look it up later okay. because we've got like a tight 30 right, minutes right. left. Enough about this. leprechauns. We're right. here to talk about the history of the dry Irish stout. Yes. And how it evolved and where it came from because 
you might not know this, but porter came first. Mm-hmm. And porter came and then stout. And stout didn't even mean what stout means today. Right. There used to be like porter stouts. It was an adjective mm-hmm. for strong. Correct. The same for mild. I've been reading about English yes. milds, and mild meant different things a lot yes. of times um, during the... And there was definitely an evolution of the terms. It went from like porter, maybe common porter, to stout or single stout, mm-hmm. to double or extra stout, to just stout, which then became in a style right. before you could have stout ale, like you said, or Correct. stout or stout Sh- porter. Stout beer, yeah. Stout beer. And it just meant stronger. Right. So you had porter and then you had stout porter. Right. And historically, the um, you'll see ales and beers. Yes. And an ale was something that wasn't hopped. Yes. And beer was a was an ale that was hopped. So before ales and lagers, there were ales and beer. Correct. And like she said, ale was not hopped. Beer because they didn't. They there was gruit. Everyone right. used gruit before hops were a thing. Right. And then all of a sudden, hops were becoming this like kind of taboo thing. Right. And some people were into it and some people weren't. And then that's when the distinction of beer and ale came because they had to have a way to, to sting it. Disting it. That's not a word. <laughs> Distinguish it. And so beer. And then eventually lager fermentation became known. And then we had lager and ale. Right. Because everybody used hops and no one really used Gruet anymore. And Correct. Blah, 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 blah. But before all that, there was Porter in London. And right. then porter could be different strengths, and like a lot of times, the the pubs would have a different strength porters on, and then you they the pub like the bartender would mm-hmm. mix it to make right. a, a, a lower alcohol, higher alcohol, whatever. Right, and that was known as three threads. Yes, that's a good master Cicero question. <laughs> Write that down. Or entire butt. Oh yeah, I remember that you could a little order bit now. The entire butt, and you would. Not expecting, but but so these beers were made with a lot of brown and amber malt, and it was mainly before the invention of the malt kiln of the um, the drum roaster. The drum roaster, excuse me. Yeah. Well, also the kiln was also invented in about like around what eighteen forty ish, eighteen eighteen seventeen was the malt kiln. No, eighteen seventeen was the drum roaster. That was Daniel Wheeler invented the malt kiln. Mm-mm. And I just read it off the fucking internet. Drum, he invented <laughs> the drum roaster, and that's how we got black patent malt, and that's why it's called black didn't patent. He, but didn't he do he both? He didn't invent the malt kiln also, just the drum no, roaster? No, they, they had the, the drying method down. The issue was they... It was just the roaster. ...was getting it roasted without the malt catching on fire. So, But everything was still smoky. Yes. Because but, they were using well, fire. Actually, it was around 1800 that Coke was invented. Okay, so... And then people could start kilning. And, and we were that, getting away from this. Okay. Right, so what that meant was once there was roasted malt and also roasted barley available, is you could start using a smaller proportion yes. of that dark malt to get those flavors and that color. Yes. And then pale malt was becoming more commercially available, and it was actually more expensive to produce, but overall, you were making money if you yeah. changed your recipe instead of being all brown malt to being mostly pale malt with a little bit of roasted malt added for that color and that yeah. flavor. And you were probably getting more efficiency yes. with that yes. switch that's, because um, that's because also, the brown malt had less ex- fermentable sugars. Right, and that was around the exact same time. That's an excellent point that the hydrometer yeah. was invented and people could start measuring the density, and then they figured out that pale malt, you had more fermentable sugars available than you did with roasted or, or brown or amber. 
So then you could also, that's why it made financial sense mm -hmm. and to use mostly base malt and then a little bit of the roasted malt. And then, you know, so London porters were around for a couple hundred years before stouts. Like before mm -hmm. the roasted barley, let me put it that way, the black yes. cotton malt. Right. So Guinness was making porter. Guinness began brewing in like 1799. Did you know the brewery at St. James Gate was actually opened in 1670? Oh, yeah. And but, it, but it changed hands. But yeah, the, but then author Guinness right. signed a 9,000-year 9, lease. 9,000-year lease. How smart. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny. <laughs> um, the story behind that is the brewery was advertised for sale for any length of time. And Arthur Guinness, like the entire family is kind of known as being eccentric. And he's uh, was also a smart ass and said, okay, I'll sign a 9,000 year lease. And so they have a 9,000 year lease on this brewery. So they're what, a little over like a 150 years into their 9,000 year lease. <laughs> nice. But it was actually the reason that came about is the brewery used to be owned, um, in 1715, so it opened in 1670. There were a lot of different breweries in there, and then in 1715, it was sold to this gentleman who was Captain Paul Espinas, mm. and they were producing porter and stout in the yes. brewery, and then he actually fell off a horse, Aww. and he died, and it's Arthur Guinness ended sad. up buying the brewery. So we could be, if that hadn't have happened, we could be the yeah. Espinas yeah. Stout could be a thing, Espinosa draft rather yeah. than Guinness draft that everybody And they knows. were making a lot of ales, and the river next to St. James mm -hmm. Brewery was a really good source for bringing in supplies and exporting beer. And they were the really the one of the ways that the stout expanded as much as it did is because they were one of the only breweries who were using that river as a means to distribute their yeah. beer to different places. Well, and before they started brewing the stout... London Porter was coming into the market, mm -hmm. and it was competing with their ales. And they actually even had a time where they brewed the last batch of ale, and went, and then they started using the black cotton mm -hmm. to develop their stouts right. to, to compete with all these London Porters. So now you have this London Porter that's using a lot of brown, amber, has probably more crystallized tone to it than mm -hmm. a stout, versus this like really dry stout because it's base malt and it's roasted barley. Mm -hmm. And you're not and getting... And also roasted malt. Yes, and you're not getting these... Um, caramelized flavors that you would from like the brown and amber malt mm -hmm. so now you're getting this really extra dry finish you're right. not getting this sweeter finish like this london porters have so now the style is kind of being developed as stout versus an adjective correct so stout you know instead of like stout porter which would mean strong porter or stout stout which they were using mm -hmm. for a time then stout <laughs> stout stout it all out <laughs> These are the beers I can dream about. Come on. I'm talking you make to that up you. Last Come on. You no, I made it up just now. You've been waiting to sing that, I can tell. I do it really good. sing it from time to time. So, I mean, stout was a reaction to the market, you know, like mm -hmm. a lot of beer styles are. You had to, to make something new. People wanted this. Like, this was becoming a, a dark. You know, Porter was a beer of the people in London. Mm -hmm. This was becoming a beer in the people in Dublin. Their own style was being developed. They really took a hold of the patent. And then, boom, we have all this roasted fi flavor now and, like, less caramelized or brown. Right. Or, or Do you actually have boom written in your nose? Yep. Right here. Good. 
You guys should see Rachel came in with pages of notes. I signed this. up for Master Cicerone test yesterday, <laughs> and I freaked out and studied last night because I was like, well, now I have to be a master on these podcasts about. Yes. <laughs> I have a post-it note with um, three bullet points on it, and it fell on my kitchen floor. Also so appropriate of a Master Cicerone. Yes, there's dog hair all over the back of it, like the sticky part of this Look, I was note. trying, I was getting into it, and I really wanted to like distinguish the history of the st- stout versus like the history of Guinness, but... Guinness is the history is this, this yeah. stout. Yeah, for I mean, sure. I mean, it's kind of like you you can talk about American craft beer, but you can't really not talk about Sierra Nevada. Yeah, that's true. It's not that many, and it looks like more notes. How, I was about to say, how many pages of notes do you? Have? I was look. I just signed up for Master Cicerone, and I'm mm-hmm. freaking out. Okay. <laughs> no, it's. I was like, I have to be able to write about all this. It's great. One thing uh, we continue to joke about is how we don't do anything to prepare for these episodes. We just walk in and talk. So for us to actually have done research is. I do research. Fabu. I research sometimes. When it comes to brewing these, if you want to brew a stout, you know, they're the whole other side of the stout. Right. And um, an interesting thing too, just as we're moving into the brewing, is. So so many beer styles developed around what ingredients were available. And mm-hmm. you mentioned the river. And the water in Dublin had very high carbonate levels. And yes. one of the ways that Thank is you. beneficial to, um, to stout brewing is when you're using roasted malts, they, roasted malts can be used as a way almost to adjust your pH. So the uh, Dublin waters had very high alkalinity and mm-hmm. you know most beer the brewing ph you want it to be ideally is like five three but it can be anywhere from like five two to five six and you'll you'll still be okay for your mash ph and the roasted malts act to bring down that ph of the high alkaline waters so it would naturally lower that alkalinity to a good mash pH level, and then it also has high bicarbonate. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny for when I have beer, when I have a Guinness beer for a very long time, and I still do, I get this very faint minty character that I've described as it tastes like somebody, this is kind of a gross way to describe it, but somebody has like chewed wintergreen gum and just dipped their gum in my beer. Like mm. it's very faint mint flavor. And I finally realized what I'm tasting is that water profile mm-hmm. in Guinness beer. So if I have a Smittix or a Harp or something like that that is brewed at Guinness, mm-hmm. I can I can tell that this is a Guinness product, not a Guinness stout, but it is a Guinness product because of that water profile. Yeah, because those darker grains release acids into mm-hmm. the beer to bring down that pH. So if you ever take... I always noticed this when I uh, worked at Left Hand and Noda. Every time we would brew the darker beer versus lighter beer, the pH values were always a little bit lower in every step of the process. The mm-hmm. mash, the boil, the knockout, the fermentation. And it was just due to that release in, that, in those dark grains. So right. that high level mineral level in that water was perfect for these malts because it would balance out. Right. And you can, like, you can brew other... Styles of beer with any with any water you have, you can oh, brew sure, beer. Sure. But it's the, the but they the, didn't know like the, exactly. like Guinness wasn't like testing the water. No one knew to test their water. They just knew that it worked well. When I yeah, when I brew this style of beer, it tastes, it tastes really good. better. And when, that's why ales kind of fizzled out. Fizzled out. Like they were brewing pale ales and stuff, and they stopped mm-hmm. and they switched over to the porter and then the right. stout and then and you know they just knew there was better marketing for them because it tasted better people were liking these beers better right when you have a water that's suited for like a pale ale 
then if you do like these like dark grains, it's going to like be very acidic, like right. beer. And astringent. Yeah. yeah. They didn't know the science, but they just knew it tasted better. Right. Eventually we started to get into science. But. Right. Right. And we, we've been talking about that a lot in our training sessions, just about how much brewing for mo- most of history is relatively recent that like obviously that we have software but that we're using thermometers and hydrometers mm-hmm. and we can actually measure this stuff and a lot of it was much more like like how your you know your your grandma cooks the family recipe every year it's like she doesn't have anything written down mm-hmm. she just makes it yeah and she couldn't give you measurements if you know if you needed to or there's like a, uh, a card that says yeah. it's you like know, a bushful Right, exactly. Or, yeah, or like, uh, yeah, and it's and it's just something that they were like, well, we just know we've done this enough that we can tell that when the mm-hmm. when the wart looks like this, it's going to taste like this. It's mm-hmm. finished. And it's just been relatively recent that we've been able to actually measure that and yeah. quantify. So Rachel's exactly right. There are things with, like, the water is you maybe, you probably knew it was the water, mm-hmm. but you didn't know why. Mm-hmm. It was just... This does like just like fermentation that. and yeast. Like there was a time where we didn't know what was going on. We just knew if we put this in, reuse the yeast, reuse this stuff, it would work. Right, exactly. And I think an interesting thing too with Irish stouts is there are really two main styles. So you have a Dublin style stout and then a Cork style stout. Mm. And typically with a Dublin style stout, that is going to have roasted barley as well as roasted malt. So Guinness uses roasted barley, but you don't have to use roasted barley mm-hmm. for your stout recipe. You can just use roasted malt. And a cork style is going, I believe, doesn't use roasted barley, but the cork style is going to be a little bit sweeter. And I, this past week, actually bought Guinness Draft and Murphy's Stout because Murphy's is a commercial example of a cork style stout. I'm learning so much. I know. She's taking diligent I, I, I notes. I was like, mm, that's a good point. Cork style. Yeah, back to the drawing board. <laughs> back to the drawing board. Hasters. See, that's that kind of thing that here's you're going to mess up on your sister and test. Listen, here's what we can do. We just slowly start to alter our appearances so we look like each other. And one of us can hide in the bathroom and it will be like a tag team for the master. And we just They're going to be like, we've seen you girls so much. (laughs) We know who you are. Idiots, we've seen both of you. (laughs) Multiple occasions. Right. Um, And then I guess only one of us would be able to submit an exam. So As masters. As halfsters. Right. As hafsters to masters. Right. So if we pass. This is all we're going to talk about. Our it's podcast. under my name. And then if, if we don't pass, mm, it'll be under your name. Yeah. yeah. We did promise it wouldn't turn into a yeah. master prep podcast. And it won't. But back to 50-50. Dublin style versus Quirk style. Yeah. I, I got a couple of them and did a side-by-side. And it, it did seem like the Murphys had sweetness. I'm more interested in doing it blind. I'm since sure. I, I was just doing it by myself, so I knew yeah. which one was which. I'm sure it's a sweetness from a mash temp and not like the addition of lactose correct. or anything no, like correct. that. No, correct. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. absolutely correct. So a very slight difference. Right. Probably hard. Right. Now I'm going to go do it. I think you know I have to go there, though. I'll bring it. I'll bring some back with me. Let's just go we'll there. Go. Okay. Because Like right now? Okay. I don't think I have anything else to do. Yeah, I don't have any Board. responsibilities. Yeah. And I've got endless cash. <laughs> <laughs> what are we even doing here? Right. Should be doing this podcast on the road. <laughs> uh, but Sponsored. It, uh, another interesting <laughs> thing uh, about Guinness and the history of Irish stouts 
that is more of a historical thing is up until very recently, Guinness used Isinglass to clarify their beer um, to get it to drop bright. Yeah. And Isinglass is made from bladders of tropical fish. Yep. And I've got my, my thing pulled up here. I can't turn it around to show it to you, but um, it's porn. No. <laughs> um, a few years Quick ago. turn in there. And again, and again um, I don't want to just like always be plugging my blog, particularly since I don't update it very often anymore. But a few years ago, I had done research into Isinglass and like what, how do you go from fish bladder like, how do you look at a fish and think, huh, I bet that bladder would make my beer real clear. Yeah, that's a good question. So the reason why is they think, and it's the same kind of history as kind of how beer was started, also cheese, is that they used to use animal bladders as a form of storage. And oh. so they noticed that if you were using this fish bladder, your beer was clearer. And so, <laughs> like a purse. Okay. Okay. It's like a purse, okay. but a bladder. But and then what do you do? You like just take it home? Like is this like a growler kind of thing? Like no, but like, like since people were traveling more, and okay. you know Dublin is on the sea, so there's a lot of seafaring folk. Well, how much beer are you getting into this thing? I don't know. I haven't like seen an actual. It doesn't seem like you you got the beer. You just put the beer in your mouth. Why do you got to put it in a fish bladder? Well, you can't <laughs> put it in your mouth and like carry it or like like why, have why, your cheeks. Are the with barrels beer. not available? No, for like smaller, this is before barrels. This is why they think that this developed. Okay, okay. And it's the same sort of thing as using rennet in making cheese. That is a protein found in calf, like calf stomachs, cow stomachs, goat stomachs, one of them. But they would use that as as a means to carry, you know, milk and stuff around. And then it curdled, but then it also turned into cheese. And the reason why is because that rennet within the bladder, like it was a happy accident. People are so gross. <laughs> I'm serious. True. <laughs> but um, whatever works. They use Isinglass as a way to clarify yeah. beer. And it, that was a tropical fish bladder now. And you can still yeah. buy Isinglass. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Plenty of pre- lot, breweries use it. Right. And it's yeah. usually um, like cast condition, this very traditional mm-hmm. ingredient. But Guinness doesn't use that anymore because for a very long time, then that meant the Guinness was not vegetarian because it had Isinglass in it, which, you know, you can argue what amount is actually left in there. Yeah. But it is using an animal product Mm -hmm. to in in the beer, in Mm -hmm. the finished product. Um, But Isinglass works as a um, protein. Yeah. It helps drop protein out of your beer. So like you would use something like Irish moss to Mm -hmm. precipitate yeast out of the beer, but Isinglass is used to get proteins out of the beer. So it, it latches onto is it's um, like a negatively charged and positively yep. charged, and they're attracted to each other, and fall out of suspension. So you have yep. a brighter beer. You don't have that protein haze that you can get from you know something that has like a high amount of wheat. Yep. Or something like that. So um, Isinglass is just one of those weird, weird things that Guinness yeah. was known for, and I know they weren't the only ones no, who yeah. used it, but they don't anymore. Yeah. And I think most beers don't anymore. No, I've used it. Well, I haven't used it at Pilot, but my first brewing job. We would mix up kegs of it for the beer, and oh my god, it was so annoying. Because like I've heard that it's really it's difficult. To really work with. difficult. Like we actually had a drill that we put a paddle on, and then we filled the corny keg with it, and it would be this like really you had. I mean, we, you had to mix it that much that we had to put the drill and just like wow, Ooh, yeah. And then you could pitch it, and then you only had like a second to pitch it because otherwise it. 
With right, that's what I was thinking, <laughs> that you have to do it really quickly. We do it in line. We would do it like, well, we put the beer in the bright, I guess. Or maybe we put that in first than the beer in the bright. But that's the only time I used it. It's yeah. just a pain in the butt. I'd rather use BioFine. It's just right. easier to right. use. There's better products yeah. available now. Exactly. And yeah, we don't have to be gross old-timey people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but with a, um, with a stout, I think that it's a good example of how using the specialty malts makes a big difference in the mm-hmm. beer. But, you know, I, I've told people if you've got a flight in front of you and, like, you've got a pale ale and a cream ale and an IPA and a stout, that all probably has 80% of the exact same malt in it. Yeah. And when it comes to Irish stouts, the proportion of malt, of the dark malts that you're using is, like, five. Yeah. 10%? Yeah. yeah. And it's a very, very small amount, but that's how Well, you don't need much. Powerful. And right. You don't want it to taste like ashy or arc grade or, or like um, right. too much astringent or anything like that, which can happen if you use too much yes, roasted exactly. malt. Um, other things, too, I've had issues with is uh, getting roasted malt that I'm pretty sure was produced in an iron that, or in a mm-hmm. uh, drum roll roller that had iron. Maybe not, but that's um, definitely had some roasted malt that you know, converted into some metallic flavors from that. And that was a thing for a beer that, a Dunkelbach that I made, which is stupid. I shouldn't have put roasted malt in the first place because mm-hmm. German beer doesn't have roasted malt in it. Nope. So style flaw, but fixed it. <laughs> so like brewing dry Irish stouts on that side, this is a dry, it's dry mm-hmm. being keywords. There's So your match temp, you'd want to keep dry. You don't want to pull out those complex unfermentable sugars correct so you it's going to leave a, sweetness right a lower mash temp to get more of those beta amylase which probably could be the difference between this cork style and dublin style yeah that's interesting so it's probably like a 148 mash temp versus a 154 right like that's the difference right right Damn. exactly exactly is that on our test maybe but we know it now I'm going to go drink Murphy's and Guinness side by side. <laughs> like it's going out of style. I'll be like, oh, no, I can't taste it. <laughs> but, yeah, I think um, I recently brewed an Irish stout, a, a blue ribbon winner Irish mm. stout, if I may say so myself. And one of the things I did differently with this one that I hadn't done before was, again, taking out of uh, Brandy Mosier's Radical Brews book is I – Oh, no, I'm sorry. Maybe it was Modern Homebrew Recipes, like Gordon Strong. It was one of those two where they recommend taking that roasted malt and grinding it into a, in a coffee grinder, mm-hmm. basically into a flour, and adding it at the very end when you're yeah. sparging. And the reason for that being you don't need it for fermentable sugars. And if you – you can definitely put it in your mash at the, yeah. you know, at the beginning, just mill everything together and have it all in there together – but you also, that increases the chance that you might pull some of that astringency yeah. more than you're intending out of that roasted malt. And so with our Brazilla, we have the constant recirculation, and it's basically a brew in a bag, so we don't sparge. Uh, so what I did was I ground that up uh, in a coffee grinder and then put that at the top of my mash for the last 15 minutes mm-hmm. and let that recirculate because I was just wanting that flavor and that color. color yeah. It ended up a little bit lighter than I had intended, but yeah. it was still, it was still in spec. Like it was still yeah. dark, like it's supposed to be, uh, but it turned out really well and it didn't have any of those acrid flavors or those mm-hmm. bitter flavors. And so that's just a fun, a fun tip. If you're brewing, 
and Irish stout is try either that or doing like a hot or not a hot steep, but a cold steep of your roasted malts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like it. And then just keeping a classic um, ingredients, hops, fuggle, e- EKG hops, mm-hmm. you know, English, uh, hops, English yeah. yeast. <laughs> if you want to make an American style, just change it to American ingredients. Just do American hops, right. American yeast. But yeah, you would use Irish yeast for the. <coughs> so I said, I'm sorry, I said English, but I meant I meant <laughs> Irish. I meant Irish. Yes, which is is still a similar character to English yeast. Like it's it's got some fruitiness to it. The other thing I think um, that is interesting about dry stouts is the nitrogenation, especially oh, Guinness. Yeah. So what Guinness did in. Well, they, um, what year was it? I think it was like 1960. The, vinge- the invention of the widget? Yes. Yeah. So they were yeah. trying to emulate the cask beer experience for people. And so and I, I think we've talked about casks before, but that's just briefly, it goes undergoes secondary fermentation in its serving vessel, which is going to be a cask. And then it's served without the use of added carbonation, mm-hmm. and it's typically served as gravity-fed, basically. Mm-hmm. And so wanting to recreate that experience, Guinness started putting nitrogen in, in their beer to get those smaller bubbles, to get that creamier mouthfeel. And then they also had the widget that they invented, and the way that functions is when you open the can, it's got a little widget of nitrogen in it mm-hmm. that then is punctured and releases, and so that's why when you're pour- pouring a Guinness from the can, one, you can hear that, you know, mm-hmm. if you shake it, you can hear the widget, uh, but that's emulating that nitro experience. Yeah. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, they're definitely the inventors Mm-hmm. Nit- not nitrogen, but right. using <laughs> nitrogen. <Yeah>. <laughs> that <laughs> was the universe that invented nitrogen. That is interesting. I wonder how they captured... It was just only in the widget. Correct. Yeah, because there was no pre... Okay, got it. Right. Got it. So it's, it's carbonated to whatever the normal level is, and then it's kind of like adding, and know, the like reason, adding a shot. And the reason you don't see... Like left-hand milk's out, for example. The reason you don't see a widget in that bottle is because they... One, we, we... I used to work there. They uh, nitronize the beer in line, like while they're transferring from the fermenter to the bright mm-hmm. tank. They have a big, big, fancy thing that does it. And then um, their bottling line has like liquid nitrogen attached to it, just gives it like a little extra drop. Okay. And that helps keep that hard pour. Um, but there's no like, that's no widget. I mean, that's, I, I, I would say, quote unquote, the secret. It's not really the secret of mm-hmm. their beer. The secret is like the amount and how it works. But, right, like, right. But it's just like a liquid nitrogen. So the beer is fully nitrogenized. I think when it goes in a uh, keg, they didn't do that. It was just regular because you pour it on a system with nitrogen. And then the bottles, yeah, it just had a little nitrogen drip. Drip of nitrogen. Yeah. So it's like a little widget without the part of the widget. Right. The other thing I think is great about Irish stouts is they are a fantastic example of busting the myth that dark beer is heavy yeah. and high in alcohol. Yeah. Because an Irish stout is going to be between four and four and a half percent ABV. Yep. And so that's that's very sessionable. And mm-hmm. and Guinness in particular, most Irish stouts are going to be very light bodied and they, they're just darker in color. Mm-hmm. And that and I think the nitrogen can make you feel like it's yeah. a heavier beer yeah, because, that's true. I, because I, it's I, more you, of a mouthfeel. You get a lot of people who are like, oh it's just so heavy, blah blah blah. And it's like it's not though. It's, it's <laughs> I know. Well, even people also drink with their eyes, right? Yeah, it's, it's different. I mean, you're not used to it. I can see it. 
Yeah, and we were talking about that the other day. Somebody had asked why why do people think that dark means heavy? And one of the things that somebody else said was, well, if you're going into a craft brewery, a lot of their dark beers are also their heavy beers. Mm-hmm. It's their imperial stouts. Mm-hmm. It's you know the Doppelbox, and that's that's kind of where that I think that comes from. Yeah, and when you have a lot of residual sweetness left over in the beer, it can definitely feel like that. Right, feel like a very heavy right. beer, and also thinking through up until recently, most people were used to only drinking macro lager. Mm-hmm. So anything that had more of a mouthfeel than that was going to feel thick and heavy. Yeah, true, true. Well, I think we have to wrap it up. I think we do too. I mean, we can talk about it all day because I got all these notes, y'all. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We covered most of it. Okay. Cool. That's my story. <laughs> now sticking to it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a happy and safe St. Patrick's Day. Just or just a happy and or safe normal Tuesday. Tuesday, it's fine. right? Um, whatever. Just <laughs> stay happy and safe and make good decisions. And we're proud of you. And <laughs> follow us on Facebook and Instagram at False Bottom Girls. And also uh, feel free to reach out to us anytime on either one of those platforms or email us at falsebottomgirls at gmail.com. This has been False Bottom Girls. And we make the Bruin world go round.